Hi, Alex here from the Jack News team. Welcome to Jack's Viral Podcast. We've got loads of variety on this week's show. We're talking to homeless charities, local authority figures. We've got the mayor, an LGBTQ plus bar and an actual rock star. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Now, a community group in Oxford is concerned about an upcoming homeless crisis when the eviction ban ends in less than four weeks' time. The team at Oxford Mutual Aid have helped more than 50 homeless people locally during the pandemic. Mariana is a volunteer and told Emma from News that the pandemic has been very difficult for people living on the streets. We've been really taken by surprise. It was set up just as a kind of small community response and it's really taken off because the uh, organisations that already existed, uh, some of them have been quite overwhelmed and people have just been looking for uh, people who can provide them with support. And yeah, we, we were surprised by the demand for food parcels and for our reheatable meals which go out to people who are on low incomes or who don't have access to cooking facilities. And we're now distributing between 700 and 800 of those a week. And, um, yeah, we don't have trouble getting rid of those at all. People are really um, in need of, of a hot meal as well as the food parcels. You've also been helping out the homeless as well. Um, what have they been saying to you, people who were living on the streets of Oxford? How has the pandemic affected them? Well, it's obviously been really incredibly difficult for people who have been homeless. Um, many of them, of course, have been taken into accommodation, but there have been some difficulties with that, um, you know, being moved from place to place, uh, struggling to find somewhere that's really suitable. Um, I think we're, we've been really grateful that the government and council response has been what it has and that most people have had a roof over their heads but of course we're looking to the future now and um, how difficult it's going to be when that kind of level of support is slowly withdrawn or uh, you know we're going to probably have an upcoming um, homelessness crisis when the eviction ban does eventually end as well so we're partnering with organizations like ACORN and we're just trying to you know carry on providing all the support we can to um, the people who we're supporting who are homeless or who are housing insecure as well. Obviously, the second peak is a concern for everyone. Um, we're also really concerned, even if the numbers for coronavirus keep going down, about the economic after effects. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going to be a really difficult winter for a lot of people, and that's why we're not going anywhere. But also, we're slightly, um, you know, we're um, kind of anticipating that there might be a bit of a shortage of volunteers as people go back to work, get busier again um, and aren't able to take on um, as much as they have been able to previously because we've been really grateful and, you know, overwhelmed by the level of support that people have been willing to give over the past few months. It's been really amazing to see. But of course, you know, people's lives are sort of Going back to, if not normal, then, you know, normal levels of busyness at least. Um, so that's another thing we're slightly concerned about in the coming months. You're appealing for more drivers as well. Why is that? So it's really useful for us if people can take on regular shifts driving. Um, and over lockdown, you know, a lot of people were at home every day and were very happy to come out and do a kind of run in their car. 
And, uh, yeah, now people are going back to work. People will be, um, you know, having their kids go back to school. Um, and people just don't have as much time anymore. So if people can spare an hour or so a week just to take a few food parcels um, from the Richard Benson Hall on the Cowley Road to a couple of houses um, nearby, that would be really, really useful. Some of them you can do on a bike even, but, um, yeah, we're especially looking for drivers, um, and that's some, something we're finding slightly um, difficult at the moment to, to find enough people to drive our food parcels around. But we're always really, really grateful for um, for any volunteers we get. And, um, yeah, we, we'd love to have more people come on board and be part of the team because it's a really fantastic organisation and um, everyone just wants to support each other. Oxford City Council says rough sleepers in Oxford, which were provided emergency accommodation during the pandemic, are now in more settled interim housing. And if you'd like to volunteer for Oxford Mutual Aid, just give them a search on Twitter. Now, the long-term goal for Oxfordshire is no food banks, but it will take some time. That's the message from Nina Oswald, the coordinator at Good Food Oxford, who says we need a more long-term sustainable solution. She told Joe about how they're working to help people to buy or produce their own healthy food. Food poverty has been a problem all along, and we have been working on that on a sustained basis. Um, but it's really become much worse with um, the COVID crisis for various reasons, um, different for different groups. Um, what we found is that the need for accessing food banks, community larders, and other community food services has tripled in Oxfordshire since March. And also the increase in delivery of food parcels has increased sixfold. That's because people are not able to go out as much, but it's also because of people's incomes have declined. People have been furloughed or even laid off. It's a scary thought, isn't it? That's such a huge rise in demand in such little time. And are you worried that it won't recover or it may even get worse in the coming months? I mean, I think the crisis has shown that it's very hard to predict um, what will be in a few months. Um, we've definitely seen uh, those community food services step in big time. A lot of these um, initiatives are volunteer run and they've been doing an amazing job in scaling up their operations. Um, a lot of them work with surplus food from supermarkets. Um, so that is a system that has been around all along and we expect that that will continue um, you know, to to solve that problem um, for many people. At the same time, what we're really looking at is a slightly longer term perspective where actually we don't want a food system that depends on food banks in the long run. What we really what we're really working for is for people to be able to buy um, and grow food that is good for everyone on a more regular basis. So that's why we're also looking at things like um, availability of land locally for growth growing food, for instance, and supporting local farmers, because that's really a more long-term sustainable solution um, than we currently need to focus on um, during the crisis. Of course. Do you see a future then where food banks aren't a thing anymore? Well, we have we need those dreams, right, to keep our work going. Um, yes, certainly that is our long-term goal. Um, now, obviously, that's gonna um, you know take some time to transform the food system. So we very much support the work that food um, banks are doing, and we work with them closely. Um, but yes, certainly in the long run, um, we'd like to you know solve that problem. 
you talk about there's been such an increase in demand during the pandemic, which I think mm-hmm. probably isn't sort of surprising for a lot of people. But at the same time, I'm guessing there are plenty of people in there that maybe had to use a food bank for the first time ever during lockdown, do you think? Yes, certainly. That is feedback we've got from the community food services. Um, And all of them have, most of them have adopted a policy where people are not uh, required to prove their need. Um, So in the past, a lot of food banks operated um, that people had to be referred um, and had to sort of prove their need before being able to get food parcels. What we see right now as COVID response is that a lot of food parcels are given out to anyone who uh, says that they need them without any questions asked, really. And that has really reduced the barrier for people um, who have found themselves in that position for the first time in their lives, needing to ask for help. It's not very comfortable. And um, it's really um, reduced the, the stigma. That's why we've also started speaking more about community food services rather than food poverty and food access. And I can't, I can't um, imagine, you know, for those people that have had to go there for the first time, it must be so difficult to kind of make that first step. But hopefully they have found some comfort in the help they've then received. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think they have. And I mean, all of these initiatives are run by extremely passionate people. Um, A lot of them volunteer run. And also a lot of them are motivated not just by the food poverty aspect, but it's also using surplus food that would have otherwise gone to waste and that has been rescued from supermarkets. There are organizations like the Oxford Food Bank, Food for Charities and Sophia um, who distribute that food. Um, And the volunteers running these services are really committed to making use of that food and at the same time helping people. So it's actually, it's solving a problem, but I think it's also created a huge sense of community and of really people helping each other. Now, the Lord Mayor of Oxford says he fears the city will cross the red alert threshold of 50 cases per 100,000. This week, Oxford inched closer as cases rose to 41 per 100,000. The mayor has asked local people to stay vigilant and follow the rules this bank holiday weekend. Here is Craig Simmons. Well, I think it's particularly important for citizens of Oxford to take care over the bank holiday weekend and indeed beyond, uh, because we do have a sort of COVID levels of cases are increasing in the city, we've gone up to 41 per 100,000, and that's just a, uh, puts us on amber alert. So if it does increase as per that, we will go into red alert and risk local lockdown measures. I think everyone wants to avoid that because of the, the impact on the local economy, if not, nothing else. So I really ask people to be particularly care, especially if they're you know, going out, outside and going near crowds, to try and avoid uh, contact with people outside their social bubble you know, socially distance, wash their hands regularly and wear a face covering. Do you think that the people of Oxford um, are taking this seriously enough? Well, I think it's always easy to criticise, but I think, you know, people have been under a lot of pressure with lockdown over the last few months. And, you know, and there has been a lifting of of, um, restrictions. And I think people are taking advantage of that and we can't blame them for doing that. But I also think that, as you know, we're seeing this rise in cases, people do need to to redouble their efforts to, to take care there's still a lot of cases. I mean, I'm going in shops, for example, I still see a lot of people, you know, not wearing masks in shops. Relatively easy thing to do will we'll help a lot uh, with keeping the case numbers down. So I just think people need to comply with the guidance that's already out there. It doesn't, you know, place too many restrictions on them. But if they don't, then we will have more severe restrictions placed on us in Oxford. Would you say that it's uh, most people are following the rules, but there's just a small portion of people that just aren't? Well, it's, it's difficult to say who is who is and who isn't following the rules. 
I mean, you know, we've had, you know, localised outbreaks in the east of the city. We now have a sort of um, outbreak among sort of younger people that's across the city. I mean, those are the groups that are that are suffering. Um, but whether or not they're responsible, we don't know. I think it's people return from foreign trips uh, in particular, and we've seen them bringing cases into Oxford. I mean, we have a very mobile population, so we expect to be uh, constantly on the lookout for these types of things so we can intervene early. Because if we intervene early, fine, we can carry on as normal. But if we leave it, then we risk uh, sudden increases in cases. And once it becomes exponential growth, we then very, very difficult to contain. Just funny for me, I'm just thinking about the numbers. I think it was uh, 16 at the end of the 14th of August, uh, and then went up to 28, didn't it? And now it's on yeah, that's 41. 41. Yeah. Um, so obviously, if we see an increase similar to that of which we saw in the in the previous weeks, we will cross that threshold of 50 for red alert. Um, exactly. Do you think that will happen? Um, I fear it will happen because, uh, you know, there is a lag between, you know, reporting of cases uh, and actual sort of people get, getting ill and obviously measures take some time to, to, to affect. So I do fear that we might get to that red alert threshold of 50 cases per 100,000. But I'm hopeful if people do act now, and I've been putting out the messages for several weeks that people do need to take um, precautions and, and lower their risk of infection and infecting others, I'm hopeful that we can stay within that 50 per 100,000 limit. With numbers up and a bank holiday on the horizon, we also spoke to the leader of the Oxfordshire County Council, as Ian Hudspeth, about what's been done to keep cases from getting out of control. He talked to us about the details of the data and what a local lockdown could look like here in Oxford. Local councils are best placed to actually respond to the crisis because they know the local area. And testing in, in particular is really important that we get accurate good quality data about the test results that are coming through. And one of the key things is that uh, these are done nationally at the moment, and there is a bit of a delay in getting the data to local councils. And sometimes we need to have that data as quickly as possible, because locally we can see if there's a a reason for a particular spike because locally we know what's going on in the area whether that's down to a workplace or perhaps there's been a recent um, meeting or festival of some sort and then we can actually work with the local area to make sure that everybody does their best in the sense of actually reducing the risk of COVID making sure that they don't uh, mix with other people, making sure that people do wear masks, making sure that we all wash our hands and sanitise at regular times. And actually, in terms of if we ever got to a point where Oxford or Oxfordshire would have to impose some sort of local lockdown, do you think having that extra testing data would help implement that? I mean, there's been talk about instead of it being, you know, maybe countywide lockdowns in future, maybe it'd be based more on a postcode. So it's a smaller area or what do you think of that i think that um having the data and having the ability to test locally is really important because uh, if you find out as quickly as possible where there might be a spike you can go into that area whether that be a street level a factory or a school or a care home and actually work with the organization to reduce the risk and maintain that we don't have to have a much larger lockdown i think that's really key to it but it's about having that data as quickly as possible to look at it and understand why it's happening in a particular area 
One of the issues, of course, is people commuting into work uh, don't have their, their home postcodes are obviously dispersed across um, the county or even people commuting into London, it's dispersed across the county. So again, it's about that local knowledge about people's local habits of going to work, where they work, and being able to use that knowledge to actually clamp down and make sure that the spread is reduced as much as possible. And do you think it would be beneficial then if we could do, if we ever needed to, local lockdowns, say, in Oxfordshire that were specific to an area where there is a rise in cases? Because obviously if the whole of Oxfordshire had to lock down because maybe there was a rise in West Oxfordshire, that's a lot of businesses affected, isn't it? I think this is not just something in Oxfordshire. It's right across the country um, with everybody's talking about how do we reduce the risk of the spread and it may be that uh, businesses and in some cases we've seen where some food processing plants in Scotland have been uh, closed down just the food process just the plant itself not and the staff have been asked to self-isolate that is perhaps the way that lockdowns may have to work in future so that the rest of the economy can continue and everybody else can continue as well and i think that's really important that the ability for the majority of people to carry on with their lives as best as possible and by able to reduce the risk of spread leader of oxfordshire county council ian hudspeth there Now a nightclub in Oxford has reopened as a bar in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Plush Oxford, which is the city's only LGBTQ plus nightclub, now offers sit-down table service instead of a dance floor. There's currently seating for 80 people, but it's due to increase for when students are back in October. Lucas is the marketing director and has been speaking to our journalist Emma Cohen about the need for Plush to get back open again. I think most nightclubs are meant to be nightclubs. You know, they have wide open spaces that people can dance in. They have they have bars that you go up to. And we've completely transformed it into more of a kind of a wine, cocktail, lagers, of course, spirits and drink deals, but a sit-down table service bar. Um, so that's been our challenge over the last two weeks is to take a space that was meant for something and convert it into something else. Why did you want to convert it then into a bar? I mean, I think it was, it was twofold. Um, one, it was needs must. Um, we needed to have some income in. Um, we need to start figuring out how we're going to operate um, in this new normal that everyone is saying. And a lot of places are saying, and kind of the word on the street is, it could be many months before clubs are able to open as clubs. And a lot of, I think, venue owners think it's going to be at least until we get a vaccine. I mean, obviously, we would welcome something earlier than that. But if we have to wait until there's a, a vaccine and then wait for a significant amount of the population to be inoculated, um, you know, it could, be, it could be late into next year even before we can open. So there was a practical aspect if we just needed to say, what does it look like as a business to survive now? You know, how do we need to adapt to this? Uh, but the other side of it is just the community that we serve. We're a queer club in Oxford. We're the only queer club in Oxford. And I think it's important to give our community kind of that safe space an enjoyable place um, that they have enjoyed for for almost a decade now um, and to reopen the doors to that as well. How much support have you had in the nightclub sector during the pandemic? Mostly we have benefited from the support that was offered or or sent out to to all hospitality uh, industries. So we've had um, quite a bit of support or a little bit of support, I should say, from the business rates relief. Obviously there's some VAT relief, just kind of the central government relief that was that was uh, extended to eligible hospitality sector uh, businesses. Um, but we've had some community support as well. Um, our landlord, um, we, we are, our premises is occupied by the Oxford Union, 
um, and they have been very gracious to us and have extended um, flexibility in every way they can, so it, we, we certainly want to say thanks to them. Um, but then I think the queer community, too, has has really been sending us messages of support. How are you feeling then about it actually being a bar? Are you pleased with how the look has changed? Yeah, I think we're... I think we're learning as we go along. Um, so we're opening this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, again, all from 9 p.m. Um, but we're certainly learning how to make the best use of this space. Um, before, we were in a nightclub that held around 360 to 370 different people, but we might have you know, 600 people through the door on a good Saturday night when we were a club. Um, right now, we have seating for 80, about 80 people, um, and we expect by, by the time the students come back to have seating for about 120 to 130, somewhere in that, that neighborhood. So, yeah, we're learning, you know, how to, how to make the best use of the space. What does table service look like? What does mobile ordering at the bar look like? I'm also looking, um, you know, paying a lot of attention to making it a safe space. Um, you know, the, the safety of our customers and our staff are certainly the highest priority. So we've put a lot of new measures in place to try to make it COVID secure, as the term is now. To go from like 600 people that are coming through the doors to like just over 100, hopefully, like you said, when students come back, that is quite a, a significant number. Do you have concerns about enough money coming in? I think everyone who's in this industry does. Um, you know, and, and that could be affected big time by, you know, if there's another local lockdown. You know, if we have to shut our doors again here, you know, if Oxford goes, if Oxford follows the same pathway of Leicester and some of the other cities, um, then that would be, that would have a devastating impact on us and others that are in this business. Um, but we're pretty good at being frugal here at Plush and then making the best of what we have. And like I said, we've got great support from both landlords and our community. So we think that if we can, if we can make, if we can continue as we've been doing, um, as a bar and to further expand. So right now, as I said, we've got about 80, 80, 80 seats um, inside the venue. I think by mid-October we'll have 120, 130. Uh, if we can open more nights, carry on as a bar, keep providing that same great atmosphere, drink deals, music, all that comes with that, I think we can, um, I think we can pull through this. Lucas there, the marketing director at Plush. Now let's talk about dogs. About 76% of cat and dog owners would choose a holiday in the UK just so their beloved pets could come along. That's according to a new survey of more than 2,900 people by a pet adoption and rehoming charity in Burford as more people consider a staycation this summer due to the pandemic. Kerry Taylor is the education manager at the Blue Cross. She told Emma Cohen that planning is key when it comes to travelling to your destination with your furry friend. It can be great to take your pet with you and that planning time is really important. So think about your journey and make sure that you might leave a little bit earlier or a little bit later in the day so it's not too hot. You're not going to get stuck in a load of traffic. Um, using those services and planning ahead is really good. So make use of those pet-friendly services where you can walk your dog, let them have a little stretch of their legs, give them some water, let them go to the toilet all of those things and if you plan that journey well then the transport to your nice holiday can be a little bit more enjoyable for your pet and you as well which is nice. Have you got any advice for the hot weather or potentially as it is right now very windy and <laughs> rainy weather? Yeah I mean we never know do we when we holiday in the UK it can go from beautiful sunny weather to rainy and windy like it is um, today with me um, but it's being prepared and being flexible. So actually, if you take your dog away on holiday and you've got 
an activity plan, but actually it's a lot hotter than you realise when you wake up in the morning. Have that flexibility to actually, it's a bit hot for our pet today, um, maybe take them for an early walk or a walk in the evening, give them plenty of shade, lots of fresh, clean water. And that way they're going to be able to enjoy the sun as much as we do. And it's important to remember that actually if it gets too hot, they're really not happy and they can suffer from heat stroke, for example. So it's really having your dog in mind and that emphasis on keeping them as happy as you are on holiday. I wondered as well if you could speak to us more generally about what it's been like at the Blue Cross during the pandemic. Yeah, so the last few months um, have been really challenging for everyone, haven't they? But pets still need our help. So our Blue Cross work has continued and is in need as much as ever. So our teams have carried on. We've had pets in our care with um, you know nowhere near as many team members in that we had previously. So we've been really trying to take care of those pets that we've got in our centres at the moment and also trying to keep them um, happy, healthy and looking for those new homes. So we've been really innovative and use FaceTime, virtual meetings, um, you know, lots of exciting ways where we can still continue to rehome pets and keep people as safe as possible as well. So it's definitely been challenging, um, but it's lovely to hear from people and support people who really love their pets and over this challenging time for us all have really benefited from you know those lovely things that pets can provide us. I've seen a lot of people posting on Facebook and Twitter that they've been getting animals during the pandemic. Mm. Have you noticed a rise in people wanting to rehome animals? So we've definitely seen a rise in people getting animals. And actually, in some cases, it's worked out really well. So we've heard really good stories about people getting a puppy or kitten in in lockdown um, or during this time because actually they're at home, they've got time to spend with them. But there are other challenges. So lockdown has caused some trouble with puppies not being socialised, not being able to go out as much. So it really has um, been dependent on areas and how people have coped. Um, Things to remember is if you've got a new pet during this time, you do need to start prepping them for when you're going back to the office or back to work, going out a bit more. So taking those times now to get them used to being at home, maybe a little bit on their own, really short periods, nice and positive for them is really important. Um, But we do predict that over the coming months, it's going to be a struggle for people. And at Blue Cross, we are always here to try and support you as much as we can and also help those pets that are in need. Kerry Taylor there from the Blue Cross. Right, shall we finish this podcast with an actual rock star? Blur's Alex James's annual festival was one of so many events this summer that was cancelled due to some virus or something. The annual event in the Cotswolds will be back bigger and better next year, apparently, but to scratch the itch, they're putting some content up online on what would have been this year's festival weekend. We spoke to Alex to find out more. Well, it's just weird to be on the farm at this time of year and it just be so quiet, you know. I suppose the main thing is it's given us another... There's never enough time to, to kind of... To, 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 to do everything that we want to do. So it has given us another 12 months to make next year's even more of a, a, an action-packed humdinger than ever, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, it's kind, it's kind of strange. What a funny old year. It certainly has been a funny old year. But with that in mind, just touching on what you said there, Alex, would you reckon that next year is going to be... The, you, I mean, you've got a run-up to it. Is it going to be the biggest one yet? <laughs> no, it definitely is. I mean, I was so, I'm so delighted. I mean, that, the headliners we had for this year 
Nile Rogers and Rag and Bone Man and Sigala, they've all uh, agreed to just just roll over to next summer, which is which is absolutely fantastic. And yeah, it, it does it does give us a, a you know time 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 more time to prepare for an even even bigger and better event next year. And we're, and we've we've been filming. We've, we thought we'd give everyone everyone a taste. Uh, this year we've been today we've been filming a little sort of feast of all from the farm thing um which we'll be able to see uh this weekend so joe wiley's been here and we've been remembering all the good times and we've got uh izzy derry who's a brilliant uh, uh new artist from uh coventry um is just performing as i speak and uh like doom bar are pitching up when michelin starred chefs to do little cooking demos and it's all going to be you'll be able to watch it at the weekend on, on the big feast of all website just to give everyone a taster of what's coming um yeah it's, it's actually you know it's been a kind of bittersweet day really but uh, yeah, lots, 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 and lots to look forward to. Do you reckon the online thing will just sort of scratch the itch for this year, or? Um, well, 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 let's hope so. I mean, I mean, you know, it's it's just festivals have just become such a massive part of the uh, of the Great British summertime, haven't they? And and um, it's just it's just been. Uh, it's been quite strange, but I guess it, it sort of locked this one lockdown's done one thing. It's kind of made everybody discover their gardens and uh, and cooking. <laughs> so 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 um, yeah. There's, 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 so so yeah. It's just made me think. Yeah, I want to I want to bring kind, kind of growing growing our own stuff. There's plans to build a huge kind of uh, sweet corn and sunflower maze for next year and drill down into the uh, aquifer that 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 uh, that's beneath the. Uh, lies underneath all of the Cotswolds and get into that underground water and and uh and build a massive sundial and like all like loads of like stuff that i just never would have had time to do because <laughs> i'm too busy organizing a festival um it's actually it's actually given me time to step back and think what do i really want to do which is go even more mental than normal covering this festival and talking to people about this festival it's obviously a, a labor of love for you how stressful has mm. it been just the, the build-up and having to cancel and just the the whole talk me through the last six months man. <laughs> nowhere near as stressful as normal <laughs> well you know it was it's, it's it was strange because because we're like we're, we're kind of like the last hurrah at the end of the summer holidays um early on in lockdown quite a few uh events rescheduled for for this weekend thinking it will be all right and so we didn't really know whether we were going to be able to we you know we thought we might still be able to go ahead until you know it's like late may early june i think it was early june that we actually said no it's, it's not going to happen and uh you know it, we, we made the right decision and 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 um as i say we'll be back bigger and better than ever next year i think you know everyone's going to be absolutely dying to get out and uh enjoy themselves i mean um yeah so so strange but there, you know there, there is an upside i guess you know absence make makes the heart grow, grow fonder so you know so i guess it's no bad thing to have a to have a to have a fallow year there's one thing lockdown's done it's made me fat um has, has... Yeah, well, the first thing i went was went was went out and did was went out and bought buy like a month month supply of food and then ate it all in like a week exactly yeah exactly <laughs> i think the whole nation did that um how much of a, a source of comfort has food been for you personally during this period well, actually, I mean, it's it's been. Gr- I mean, like ninety nine percent of the time, it's been brilliant having the the, the, the kids at home. <laughs> like you know, when we're not also, when we're not howling at each other. But um, actually, all, all cooking together has been. You know, there's been something that uh, that I think we'll all we'll, we'll all remember actually. About you know, that there, there has been some <laughs> some 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 things, some some sort of mem- some, some good memories. Def- definitely, you know, the what? Yeah, I think that the, the kids have all really got into cooking. Um, and, 
Yeah, I mean, I've got like a passable pizza chef now, and uh, my, my daughters have become good at um, become quite good bakers. So, uh, so, so, yeah, it's not all doom and gloom. Check out the website this weekend and and uh, the feast of all from the farm. There's uh, lots to keep you amused, and um, yeah, can't wait to see you all this to see, see you all this time next year. It's going to be an absolute stonker. That's it from us. Have a good bank holiday weekend. Please try and refrain from organising any illegal raves. We know what you lot are like. Bye.